0: Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. From Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we learn a few things about Christ. The first thing we learn is that Christ will be born of a virgin. That's the sign given. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. A virgin shall bring forth a son, that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Now, there's been debate over the past several uh, centuries, actually. The critics have been after this verse for a long time. There have been many that have said that this doesn't mean a literal virgin, but merely a young woman having a child well my observation on human history is that all throughout history young women have given birth to sons young ladies have given birth to sons so if it's something that happens commonly how can we say that's a sign from god a sign from god is something that happens that is fairly unusual that is rare that is a one-of-a-kind instance and the one-of-a-kind instance we have here in isaiah seven fourteen is that a virgin A woman who has not known a man, as Mary said about herself in the book of Luke, shall conceive and bear a son. And so from this verse, we learn about the virgin birth of Christ. We also learn something else about Christ. In this verse, it gives us his name, Emmanuel. And in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew showing us how Christ fulfilled The prophecies of the Old Testament. Good observation this morning, Brother Jim. Matthew gives us the interpretation for the name, Emmanuel. And shall bring forth a son and call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew says, which being interpreted is, God with us. This son that would be born of a virgin would be God with us. Would be the incarnation of the Lord into a human body. And we talked about this in Sunday school this morning as we studied the first chapter of the book of John. How the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God took on a human body, became man, became one of us, and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt in a human body with us. He dwelt in the villages with us. He lived the human experience with us. Emmanuel, God with us. This verse teaches us that Christ would be God in flesh. And so we have a prophecy that the Messiah is coming, that the Deliverer is coming, that the the Christ is coming. And this is how you're going to know who he is. First, he's going to be born of a virgin. And secondly, he will be God in flesh. Mm -hmm. And this is a doctrine of Christmas, of the birth of Christ, of Christianity. This is one of the fundamental foundational bedrock beliefs of Christianity. You remove the virgin birth and you have just another sinner born and Christ would not have been qualified to pay for our sins on the cross. You remove the deity of Christ and once again you have the miraculous power. You you lose that. You lose the implication of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. These are foundational bedrocks of the Christian faith. But as we study Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, if you study this verse in its context, you see there's a deeper meaning here, and it comes from a darker context, and I do mean to say darker, because Isaiah chapter 7 is not a description of Christ and the various prophecies that we should look for concerning Christ. Isaiah seven fourteen is a simple statement made in a greater conversation between God and an ungodly king. Isaiah 7:14 Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel This prophecy was given to a rebellious king who was cruel who was ungodly and he treated others badly He was a bad king Now for those oppressed by this king and under this king Isaiah 7:14 was a verse of hope and deliverance. But for the king himself, Isaiah 7.14 was a prophecy of judgment. You see, the sign given to us in Isaiah 7.14 forces us to make a decision. Do we turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Or do we reject God's offer of salvation and decide to do things our own way? For King Ahaz he chose to reject God's offer and to do things his own way. And thus the judgment came upon him. So to fully understand what the Lord is telling us in Isaiah 7, 14, we need to look at what was going on around the time that that the Lord, that God, gave this statement. And so to do this, let's look at three things. Let's look at the character of King Ahaz. Let's look at God's offer to King Ahaz. And then we'll look at the sign that is offered in Isaiah 7:14. So let's look at the character of Ahaz. And you can learn about King Ahaz as you read Second Kings chapter 16 and Second Chronicles chapter 28. Both chapters of the Bible are fairly quick reads. You will learn that King Ahaz was a king that did not that which was right in the sight of God. He didn't do what was right in the sight of God. He didn't follow in the footsteps of his father, his ancestor David. Now, the Bible teaches us about David, and we know that God looked upon David's heart and chose him to be king of Israel. We know that David failed. He sinned. He fell short. He committed egregious sins from time to time. But when you boiled away all of the aspects of David's character, of David's personality, at the end of it, you got a heart that Scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. David had problems but David had the right heart. King Ahaz was the opposite. He had problems, but he had a bad heart. Mm -hmm. He did not walk in the ways of the Lord. He did not do that which is right in the sight of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, as the army of Damascus was invading his country, invading his territory and having success, Ahaz decided, well, if the gods of Damascus will help their military, maybe they'll help my military. And so he winds up sacrificing to the gods of Damascus. 2 Kings chapter 16 tells us he sacrificed to idols. And by the way, this is more than just burning incense. The sacrifice to idols involved some very despicable and immoral things that would, go, that would happen. Both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles tells us that he sacrificed his children to Molech. The Bible says he made them to pass through the fire. That's how you sacrificed your children to Molech. You burn them. You have got to be a pretty sick and cold-hearted and sociopathic person to do something like that, to inflict any harm right. upon your child. But this man is sacrificing his children to Molech. And at the heart of all this, verse 12 here in Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Ahaz in all of his sin and all of his rebellion, he wanted nothing to do with God. As you read about the life of Ahaz, you learn that he took the gold out of the temple, the silver out of the temple, the implements that were used to worship God, he took them out of the temple, and he gave them to the Assyrians in exchange for military protection. The Bible also tells us that he moved the brazen altar. The brazen altar which symbolized the worship upon that altar symbolized the reconciliation of God and man over sin, the covering of the judgment for man, the forgiveness and the redemption of man. It symbolized all that. He moved that out of the way of the temple, moved it to the north, built his own altar there that he could sacrifice to his own gods in his own way. This is an ungodly king. And as you read toward the end of Second Kings chapter 16 and Second Chronicles chapter 28, you will find That the kingdom was falling apart as a result. People were being taken into captivity. His people were being oppressed. There were hard times in Jerusalem because of the sin of this king. This king was a sinful king. This king was a bad man. And this is who God is talking to. And we're going to talk about what God says to him. God extends his grace to this king god extends his grace to this man in the in the height of this man's rebellion god says i'm going to give you an escape i'm going to deliver you i am going to help you out here i am willing to put all this behind us and set things back to the way they should be and in verse 12 ahaz says i don't want any part of that you ever meet somebody that you want to go and talk to about jesus and they say i don't want any part of jesus I don't want any part of God. I don't want any part of the church. I don't want any part of salvation. I don't want to hear it. You ever ever meet somebody like that? That's King Ahaz. Now we can sit here and talk about how bad Ahaz is. I can go into great detail about how gruesome the sacrifices to Molech, the sacrifices to the idols were. I can talk about how horrible things were in his kingdom because of his sin against God. And we can, we can sit up here and have a party, and Ahaz is a bad guy party, and, and point the finger at him and say, ha ha, there's a bad guy in scripture. Problem with pointing fingers, you've got three of them pointing back. That's why that marine drill instructor points like this. <laughs> there's none pointing back at him, Right? The question we must ask ourselves whenever we study a character like Ahaz or whenever we study anybody in scripture, we need to put a a mirror in front of ourselves and see if we see that character from the Bible. Does our character match that of Ahaz? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior or have you rejected him? Have you had that moment where you turned from your sins and you made that decision that you needed his forgiveness and his grace? and you turned your back on your sin and you trusted that he would save you because of what he did on the cross for you. Amen. Have you had that moment where you submitted yourself to God's will? That we're going to do things God's way from this point from this point on. Do you follow the Lord's truth? Yes. Do you seek for answers and for wisdom in the Bible? Do you do things the Bible way, the scriptural way? Do you do you take direction for your life from what God teaches in his scriptures? Or do you seek truth and wisdom from the world. You know, the Bible is a powerful thing because it's through the Bible that God reveals himself to us. It's through the Bible that God reveals his will to us. People say, I'm waiting to hear from God. Well, open your Bible. That's where you're going to hear from God. God spoke to me. Did you open your Bible? If not, what voice did you hear? Do you follow the Lord's truth? You know, the thing about the Bible is it reveals God's character to us. Mm -hmm. It reveals his personality to us, his persona, his will, his rules, his law, his grace, his forgiveness. Everything you need to know about God, you will find in the Bible. If not for the Bible, we would have no understanding of God. Our only understanding of God would be from theories and conjecture from the imaginations of sinful men. It wouldn't be reliable. But we have the scripture do you trust the scripture? Do you apply that to your life? You know, the Bible tells us, John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do we believe that God loves us? Do we believe that? The Bible teaches us that as God loved us, as Christ loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to love each other. Amen. Do we love each other? Or do we get annoyed with each other? Are we in each other's way? Do we have to conquer each other? You know, the Bible tells us about Jesus who, seeing the multitudes, he had compassion on them. He didn't just have compassion on them. He was moved with compassion upon them because they were scattered about as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion upon them. Do we have compassion like Christ on others? Do we? Or do we look at people like, man, I can't, people are just messed up, man. I can't stand any of them. And Jesus looked at a sinful nation, his nation that had become sinful. And he was moved with compassion yeah. because they were scattered about as sheep without a shepherd. Do we follow the Lord's truth? Do we apply his word to our lives or do we seek truth and wisdom from the world? Do we seek the world's wisdom? Do we want to find out From the world and and from different philosophies and ideas how we should live and do we apply those things to our lives you know we have a we have a book that tells us how to be parents it's in the bible and then in the 1960s i think it was the 1960s i wasn't there therefore i remember the 60s i'm kidding anyway (laughs) there's a book that came out about parenting in the 1960s had a different philosophy And that book became the standard for how people raise their children. It's been 50 years. How are we doing? (laughs) Not well. Because we've been seeking the world's wisdom. Are you bringing your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? And you may be doing that, and your children are still messing up. That happens. Adam and Eve, they had three kids. Seth wound up being the father of a godly lineage. Cain wound up being a murderer. <laughs> it happens that way. You look at you can look through the Bible and see where great godly men had rebellious children that did horrible things. I'm not judging you on your parenting by what your children do, but are you bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Or are you sacrificing them to the world system? I see so many parents that are sacrificing their children to the world. They And there's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities at school, but when your child is in every single extracurricular activity at school, that they have no time to be still and know that he is God. You're sacrificing your children to the world system. If your dream is to see your daughter in a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader outfit, you may be sacrificing your daughter to this world system. If your dream is to see your son throw a football wearing a Houston Texans uniform, I have no idea why. But if that's your dream, are you sacrificing your child to the world system? What are we teaching our kids? What are we grooming them to do? What are we raising them to do? Are we like Ahaz? Do you worship the Lord in truth? Or do you want the religion to fit your preference? I submit that we've gotten to a point in Christianity we don't know up from down anymore. Yeah. We, have, we, have been on, we have been on such a tear to eliminate tradition, to get away from tradition, to reject tradition, that we're trying to build this whole new thing from scratch and we have no idea what we're doing anymore. That's a problem. But the thing about King Ahaz, as evil as he was, is that at some point in our lives, we were all King Ahaz. At some point in our lives, we were all rebellious against God. None of us started out in faith. None of us started out in righteousness. We all began in this world as sinners because we were born sinners. Yeah. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that as, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. All of us have broken God's law. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have done things that we are now ashamed of. Romans chapter 6. What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we're all sinners. We all have that background. We all have that history. Some of us may still be in sin. Some of us may have accepted the Lord's salvation and escaped sin and escaped the consequence and the, and the condemnation of sin. But we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, the great thing about the Lord, the beautiful thing about God, is that while we were yet sinners, yeah. Christ gave his only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. And that while we were yet sinners, the Lord reached down into our lives and offered us that free gift of salvation. See, the Lord did not wait until I quit drinking and started going to church to reach into my life with the gospel. He sent his messengers into my life while I was still caught up in the sinful lifestyle. Long before I came to a point of decision to repent of my sins and trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the Lord was already speaking into it. Twelve years old, a preacher preaching that if I did not repent, I would go to hell. Sixteen years old, a youth director telling me that I was making self-destructive choices. Twenty years old, a college ministries director telling me that I needed to pull my head out of my backside and make a clear-headed decision for once in my life. An evangelist that randomly knocks on my door to tell me about Jesus. And I flaunted my sin in front of him because I wanted him to be uncomfortable so that he would leave me alone so I could continue my sin. Yet Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit sent more messengers into my life. That's how God works. He speaks into your life while you're still a sinner. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to speak into others' lives while they're still sinners. And so what happens in Isaiah chapter 7 is Ahaz, the king, this horrible king, is continuing in his horrible sin and in the midst of all this, as this king is about to reap the consequences of his behavior and as his kingdom is about to reap the consequences of his behavior, the Lord speaks into his life. Mm -hmm. Judah's enemies, the enemies to the kingdom that Ahaz ruled, conspired to attack at once. They coordinated attack on his kingdom that would devastate his kingdom. Now God's covenant, remember, was that if the people worshipped him and trusted him, that he would protect them. But if they turned against him and they worshipped idols, he would bring on the conquerors. The conquerors are here. The fact that the northern kingdom, that Syria, that Damascus, are coming up against Jerusalem, that is a direct result of the sin and idolatry that they had committed. And you know what? The destruction of my own life was a direct result of the sin that I had committed. Yet in the face of all of this, God floats an incredible offer of deliverance to Ahaz. He tells Ahaz that in verse 7, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. God was telling Ahaz, I will put this down right now and I'll put an end to it. I'll deliver you. I'll free you. I'll save you. I'll rescue you. And then in verse 11, he says, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And so God comes to Ahaz, and he tells Ahaz, You're about to see your kingdom destroyed. Have you ever been at a point where you were about to see your kingdom destroyed? Or your life was about to fall apart? Or it was about to be taken away from you because of the consequence of your sin and the consequence of the sin of others? Have you ever been in that point of self-destruction? In that moment, God comes to Ahaz through the prophet and says, I'll deliver you. And he makes another incredible offer. He says, and I'll even prove it to you. Ask me a sign. You go forward to the four Gospels, Matthew, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Give us a sign in the heavens that you are the Christ. And Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Jesus wasn't even willing to give the Pharisees a sign, but yet the Lord comes to Ahaz and says, I'm going to deliver you, and I'll prove it. Ask me for a sign. That's a pretty amazing offer, isn't it? I know it would have been pretty incredible if, in my sin and in my darkness and in my time of trial and tribulation, if God would have showed up and said, Leland, I'm going to deliver you. Ask me for a supernatural sign. I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> Of course, I'd probably been as dumb as Ahaz. I'd have probably written it off as maybe I had one too many tonight. But God goes to Ahaz and says, I'll deliver you. This will not stand. I will put down this this attack against you. You just ask me for a sign. And what does Ahaz say? In verse twelve, he says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. You take that verse out of context, it seems pretty faithful. I'm not going to ask for a sign. I'm not going to tempt the Lord. That wasn't what Ahaz was saying. He was saying, I'm not going to ask for God's help. I'm not going to ask for God's help. I'm not going to ask for God's deliverance. I don't want to do this God's way. I want to do it my way. He says, neither will I tempt the Lord. That word tempt means to test. He didn't want to test the Lord. You ever want to test something out to see if it works? Like sometimes I find out by reading or something that my computer or my cell phone or my TV has a certain feature to it. And I don't really have a practical application for this feature, but I want to try it out. An example of this, if you're on Facebook, you might have seen a video on our Facebook page about assembling the goodie bags, okay? (laughs) What happened was Josh told me about a Facebook, not Facebook app, but a cell phone app in which you can make movies on your cell phone, and it's free. You can't do this on your home computer without paying money, but this was free. And so I downloaded the app, and then I went around filming Jessica and the kids doing all the work. And I made a video out of it just to test it out. Let's see what this looks like. Have you ever wanted to test something out, to try something out just to see if it worked? Why didn't Ahaz want to tempt the Lord? Why didn't he want to test God? Why didn't he want to take God up on this offer? Because Ahaz did not want to learn that it works. Because if he asked the Lord for a sign and the Lord gave him a sign and the Lord delivered him, guess what he has to admit? Mm -hmm. He has to admit that God's right and he's wrong. And Ahaz did not want to have to admit that God was wrong, that God was right. Ahaz did not want to admit That he was wrong. Ahaz still wanted to do things his way. And not God's way. And therefore he didn't want to test God. He didn't want to test him out of fear that God would be proven true. And you know that fits the mindset of a lot of people today. They don't want to put God to the test. They don't want to learn about the Lord. Because they don't want to find out that it's real. And so they don't want you to talk about it. They don't want you to talk about, they don't want us to preach a message, they want to limit our ability to be involved in politics, they want to limit our ability to preach the gospel in the public square. You can't go into, in the United States of America, you cannot go into the school and have a special assembly where you tell people the fundamentals of the Christian religion, what we believe and what we believe about salvation and redemption. You cannot do that in the public schools in the United States of America today. You say, well, that's separation of of church and state. Okay, but check this out. You go to India, which is a pagan nation. They have all kinds of gods, little G gods they worship over there. They're Hinduistic. They, they have adopted certain mythologies and everything. And by the way, their government is not exactly friendly toward Christianity. Yeah, we have a missionary over there that that's what he does. He goes to the school and he says, I'd like to teach your kids about my religion. Can we hold a school assembly? And they will gather hundreds of children in the auditorium and he'll preach the gospel to them. I mean, a lot of people debate about the effectiveness of that, but just think about that. He can go into a school in India and preach the gospel to hundreds of children. We can barely mention it in our schools unless you're part of one of the Christian clubs that's, a, that's an official campus organization, and even then, if you're following the headlines about what's happening to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, your ability to stick to doctrinal truth is limited. Why? Why is the Salvation Army in trouble? You know, why is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes in trouble? Chick-fil-A ended their donations to the Salvation Army. They ended their donations to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They say, well, we just decided to give our giving to to other Christian organizations, and the other organizations are Christian. But why did they end to the Salvation Army? Why did they end to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Because they were having trouble opening up in larger and newer markets because Those who oppose the message of Christianity told Chick-fil-A, you donate to hate organizations. And they branded the FCA and the Salvation Army as a hate organization. Now we can say there's just one little issue that there's a problem with. It's It's not just one little issue. It's the fact that they're Christian. That's what it is. They won't say it. They won't say it. But they'll say that the Salvation Army discriminates. No, they don't. They, they, they don't discriminate on any basis whatsoever. You need food and you go to the Salvation Army Soup Kitchen, you're getting soup. You need school supplies and you go to the backpack giveaway, you're getting a backpack. They don't say, now are you a good Christian just like the rest of us? I'm not even sure they, even sure they actually preach the gospel to you in the process. They might, I don't know. I've never <laughs> been a part of one of their outreaches aside from ringing the bell for the kettle drive, which was a pleasure, by the way. Um why are they in trouble it's because of their world view why is the fca in trouble has the fca ever told a kid you're not a good enough christian you can't be a part of our club having grown up in fca i can tell you that that doesn't happen when they have their fields of faith they don't sit there at the gates making sure that everybody fits the mold and kicking out people that are not like them that's not what they do at fields of faith they proclaim their message fca does preach the gospel Why is the donations to the Salvation Army and to to FCA, why are they so controversial? It's because people don't want the message of Christ and the example of Christ being out there. (coughs) Chick-fil-A can donate to an unheard of ministry all they want to. But when they donate to a mainline Christian organization, they're going to come under fire. I'm not going to sit here and say boycott Chick-fil-A. I ate their chicken nuggets yesterday or maybe the day before. But I want you to be aware that this is an assault. Just like King Ahaz did not want a sign from the Lord, these groups that are anti-God do not want Christians out there demonstrating the love of Christ because they don't want to have to face the truth of Christ. Now, I know the doctrines of the Salvation Army and the doctrines of the FCA are not pure. But these groups are not targeting them over the purity of their doctrine. They're targeting them over who they claim to represent. If they'll go after the SCA and they'll go after the Salvation Army, let me tell you, guys, we're not far down the line. That's right. And it's, it's what it is, but you, we need to be aware. Yeah. And again, in a lot of ways, we were like Ahaz. There was a time we were in sin and rebellion, drawing negative consequences in the wrath of God, yet while we were yet sinners, Christ made us an offer of deliverance and redemption. Did you repent and trust the Lord for salvation? Or are you continuing in that rebellion? And so God makes this incredible offer to Ahaz, and he says, I'll deliver you. You just ask me for a sign. And Ahaz says, I don't want no part of this. Excuse me, I should speak properly. I do not want any part of this, is what Ahaz said. <laughs> and so God said, oh, oh, you're part of it. Yeah. You're part of it, whether you want to be part of it or not. The question is, how are you a part of it? Ahaz rejected God and refused to sign. However, God didn't go away quietly. God says, and this is where Isaiah 7, 14 comes from. God gave Ahaz the opportunity to repent and be delivered. Ahaz refused. Ahaz, (coughs) excuse me, basically told God, I want nothing to do with you. And God said, all right, all right. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us, the virgin birth, the sign that would identify Messiah. Ahaz rejected the Lord, but the Lord was still coming. And while this may have been good news to the people, for Ahaz, this meant certain judgment. In fact, the Lord told Ahaz that before the Lord even got there, he would already meet his judgment. See, Isaiah 7.14 was not just a sign to Ahaz. It's a sign to us as well. The virgin birth is only possible with God, and Jesus fulfilled it. Which means the child born 2,000 years ago, whose birth we celebrate every December, was in fact God in flesh. He is Christ, He is the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. And having the testimony of the birth of Christ, we are faced with some truths. First of all, we know that God keeps his word. God's word was a child to be born of a virgin and he will be called Emmanuel. And we know that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and we know that he was God in flesh. The testimony was that God would pay for the sins of the world through Christ. And we know, looking back on it, that Jesus Christ went to the cross where he endured the wrath of God for every sinner. If the scripture that was foretold was fulfilled, then we can believe that scripture that was foretold that has not yet been fulfilled will one day be fulfilled. And that means that just as Isaiah 7.14 was given to Ahaz and the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel back then as a sign that Christ is coming, we know through the scriptures... That Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, that's going to be judgment day. Now the question is, does the return of the Lord mean good news for us? Or does the return of the Lord mean bad news for us? That's the question. Where do you stand with the Lord? Have you accepted him as Savior? Or have you rejected him? We sing a song every Christmas. It came upon a midnight clear, which has a line taken right out of the book of Luke that says, peace on the earth and goodwill toward men. It's a nice, warm and fuzzy line. All right. The goodwill toward men is from God. Mm-hmm. Salvation through Christ and forgiveness of sins, redemption and restoration. Yes. The peace on earth is peace between God and man. And to access that peace, you have to believe. You have to have faith. See, we're going into Christmas. And you're going to see a lot of remember the reason for the season. Well, what is the reason for the season? You say the birth of Christ. But what does the birth of Christ mean? Thinking of Christ as a little baby laying in a manger is heartwarming. And peaceful. But the bigger issue is what that child accomplished when he grew to be a man. Mm-hmm. And that's our redemption. Okay. The reason for the season is not that we're celebrating a royal birth from 2,000 years ago. The reason for the season is we're celebrating the redemption that that birth brought us. Yes. That's the reason for the season. Amen. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear a lot of people say, let's put Christ back into Christmas. But I submit to you this morning, we can't put Christ back into Christmas if we don't have Christ in our hearts. Right. We have to have Christ in our hearts before we put Christ into Christmas. Amen. And so what we take from this scripture from Isaiah 7:14, 14, as we see that God intervenes, we see that God speaks into our lives even when we don't want him to. We see that God loves, that God forgives, that God redeems, and that he welcomes those who accept that redemption. But we also see that there is judgment yeah. if we continue to reject him. That's, right. That's what we learn from Isaiah seven fourteen.